Welcome to The Family Room, sponsored by Versprite, where we offer hope, encouragement, and wisdom centered on biblical truth and Catholic teaching, because God's kingdom begins at home. Now welcome your hosts, Mari, John, and Craig, right here on AM 1160, The Quest, your Atlanta Catholic Radio. Welcome into another week in the family room. This is Craig Wiesmeyer, and as always, I'm here with my co-hosts, John and Mari. Hey, guys. Hello. <laughs> we, we timed that to be in person. <laughs> Hello, Craig. <laughs> great to be here, sir. Thank you. Awesome. How awesome. are you, Mari? Yeah, I'm doing great. Wonderful. I'm not. I'm tired. I'm worn yeah. out. We've got just the interview I've, for you, sir. I've been exercising. Wait, no. I've not been exercising enough. <laughs> Uh, now, quite honestly, we're, we're very fortunate, as I always say, when we're here. We've had some incredible guests, and we try to hit all kinds of topics. And today we're going to talk about uh, you are that temple. You know, Scripture consistently talks about your body as a temple of the Holy Spirit. And Dr. Kevin Vost has written a book on that. And um, it's an interesting topic because I think it takes many different forms of what that really means. So when you think about that, what do you all think about when you think about your body as that temple? For me, one of the things that's funny about that is that my husband is a huge exercise person. He has run tons of marathons. He got me into running marathons early on in our relationship. Um, and my dad always says to him, you, God only gives you so many steps. You got to slow it down. <laughs> and it's funny. We're um, we're about to do this this long walk, and I he and I were tra- we're you know we're training, but he more trains for life. And I said, okay, so how much are you going to train? He goes, well, I need to save some for when we get there. And I thought, oh my gosh, you're starting to sound like my dad all of a sudden. But you do marry your father, you know that. Right? That's so I'm funny. Just saying. Which I was very blessed. To, I, yes, yes, because I, I have a great dad and a great husband. But no, I think about um, just taking care of the resources taking care of what God has given us is so critical. Yeah. Yeah. John. So for me, you are that temple. The big words were you are, Mm. because I've never been really bad about taking care of myself, but neither have I been really good. And when it says you are, it's like, Hey, you are that temple. So it was a bit convicting, right? Mm. Um, The the content we're going to get into is amazing. We could do about five hours on this. I know you know that, but, um, but that's what I thought about. I was like, you know what? It, I have some accountability in this, right? So, yeah, yeah. I mean, you you think about you know vanity, and every time I think about exercising, you know, oh, it's vain to think about my body. It's vain to do that because, yeah. I mean, you and I have we've talked about Christian. He works out like crazy. He's got a great physique, but for me, as I've gotten older, God's wanted me to work on that temple from a discipline standpoint mm-hmm. to make myself holy and bring my body under my will not the other way around where my body says you're tired, whatever it is. And I think, uh, and by introduction, so folks, we have again, Dr. Kevin Vost here, who's written the book, You Are That Temple. Um, Dr. Vost obtained a doctorate in psychology in clinical psychology from the Adler University in Chicago with internship and dissertation research at Southern Illinois University School of Medicine, an Alzheimer's Center memory and aging clinic He's taught psychology and gerontology at Aquinas College in Nashville, the University of Illinois in Springfield, McMurray College, and Lincoln Land Community College. There's a list of other things he has done and who he is. He's an author, speaker, professor, and radio and TV personality. And he's a guest on our show today. 
Dr. Vos, thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks so much for having me on today. Looking forward to this. So before we begin and drill down, though, we always start in a prayer because everything is centered toward God. So John, who is our prayer warrior in our temple, would you bring us in with a prayer? Mm -hmm. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and we give you praise that we are fearfully and wonderfully made that you knew us before we were shaped in our womb and you loved the shape that we had. Father, we just ask as we talk today about the temple that you gave us, the temple in which you reside, the temple into which we welcome our family and our friends and the temple where we worship all those things that are good and true and right about you, not just in the spiritual realm, but in the physical realm. Father, we just ask you to bless this time together. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon our temples, that what comes in and out of these temples and what time we spend today might be truly prayerful and that we might give glory to you in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So, um, Dr. Vosch, you told us we could call you Kevin, so we're going to call you Kevin. So, listeners, we can call him Kevin. Um, but we love here in the family room to always hear about people's spiritual journeys because you are that temple means you're a temple of something, right? That temple houses something. And for each of us, we're blessed that our temples do house the Holy Spirit and, and Jesus Christ. But that wasn't always the case for you. We'd love to hear how God has met you on your life journey and how he's brought you closer to him. Sure, sure. If I can uh, condense a 61-year journey in just a couple of minutes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll let you know I, I was born in 1961 to into a fine Catholic family as the oldest of what would be three three uh, kids. We, uh, we went to church every Sunday, and I remember we always went out for breakfast afterwards. It was a nice, nice family tradition. Was blessed to go to Catholic schools, taught by fine Dominican sisters. Uh, then high school, uh, Catholic high school with fine Viatorian priests and brothers, and of course, good lay teachers, too. Uh, so again, you know, we were a believing family, but but we didn't really talk about Jesus at home. We didn't talk about the faith at home. I remember once in high school taking a religion class. I had to cite from the Bible, and we didn't have a Bible. Mm -hmm. so we had to drive down to the local Catholic, the Marian Center. It's still there, our Catholic bookstore, and pick up a copy. But but yeah, you know, I, I grew in the faith. Even as a young teenager, I had this obsession with weightlifting and bodybuilding, and I would go to the YMCA. I remember some of my lifting friends there were, were very into Christ, but they were they were not Catholics. They were calling themselves born again and saved. And, you know, I had good fellowship with them, and sometimes I went to their churches with them. But I never had any desire to lose, you know, to leave my Catholic faith because, boy, I knew we had Jesus too. But a little later, a year or two later, I'm still in high school. I'm going to a seminar by this really top-flight bodybuilder, he, the, the guy who— First person to win the Mr. Universe with a perfect score. Oh, wow. Drove with the buddy down to St. Louis, going to see him in live. And he's telling us everything about training and, you know, how to do it. But he's an, a humble man in some ways because he, he gave us the one secret to being a world-class bodybuilder, which we were all just drooling to find out. He said, you have to choose the right parents. And we're, what? <laughs> how are we going to choose the right parents? But he clued us in on things like genetics. You know, if you weren't born with broad shoulder structure and narrow hips, you're, you're not going to be Mr. Universe, you know. So he was admitting, though, though he worked hard and dieted, even he had the genetics for that particular sport. So, so it's a good lesson. But this man, who I learned so much from in terms of uh, training and nutrition, he also dabbled in philosophy. And through him, I came across people like Friedrich Nietzsche, uh, the German atheist, Ayn Rand, the Russian-American novelist and atheist, uh, Bertrand Russell, the British philosopher, and some other people. And by reading this, 
it led me into atheism in my late teens mm-hmm. because I either say I wasn't catechized in how to cope with this mm-hmm. or I wasn't. I just wasn't paying attention. But for whatever reasons, I spent about 25 years wishing I could believe in God, but thinking it just wasn't reasonable. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That's from reading these wrong <laughs> philosophers. You know. so, so I go through life, get married, have two boys, still send them to Catholic schools because I knew there was so much uh, good there, get my doctorate in psychology, go to work in this disability evaluation field. Well, in my early 40s, through a series of events, I end up reading St. Thomas Aquinas for the first time. And lo and behold, days later, my 25 years of atheism are over Wow! because uh, I realized that this great church father had answered all those arguments just remarkably well over 700 years ago. And he's borrowing from theologians and philosophers who lived long before him, and I didn't have a clue. So so anyway, that was in uh, 2004. So at that time, I came back to the church, back to the faith, and I just kind of overflowing then with a love for the faith and with a love for St. Thomas Aquinas, which I then tried to share in my books, because almost every book, even if I'm talking about fitness, borrows in some way from the Catholic wisdom that St. Thomas uh, shares with us. Oh, that's awesome. That's such a great story. And I think it's probably not unique, especially this generation. We're we're actually of your generation as well, that (laughs) none of us were really catechized incredibly well at, at, well i guess john maybe you were catechized no, no. well as part of formation i got more than the average bear right oh, okay. yes but yeah, growing up on. it was a very devout catholic family and we had we did have a bible kevin but yeah um but it was like um it wasn't you know there wasn't scripture study and yeah it was like just, that in the family. It was just it was, kind of what we did yeah, right right and and so it was easy it's easy to be drawn away from worldly influences um and especially people that you admire and and, well, and identify yeah. something you were you grew up where I grew up on Guam, which, which was, was a Catholic Guam. island. Yeah. John? Mm-hmm. South side of Chicago. I thought for the long part of my life there was nothing but Catholic people. Mm-hmm. All right. I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, which you had Catholic churches on every corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you didn't need to be catechized, we thought, or right. we didn't find the necessity because everybody you knew was Catholic, whether you really knew what you believed or not, didn't really matter, right? Yeah, True. exactly. True. Exactly. So. And that's exactly why we have the show, Honestly, Kevin, is because we're realizing that so many people do need to be able to s- explain why they believe what they believe, right? So we have people like you on who say, hey, I learned why I believe what I believe. And here's how God, you know, took both my love, my love of nutrition and the bo- and bodybuilding and health and all of that. But he also made me understand the spiritual realities of that as well. So That's right. And I'm so grateful for it, too, because, you know, I grew up in central Illinois, Springfield, Illinois, you know, in the 60s and 70s. And I will say at that time, when I considered myself an atheist, I didn't really have any friends or associates who, who said the same of themselves or even agnostics. Whereas today, that's so, so yes. common. You know, yeah. So yes. many young people saying that they're nuns, not N-U-Ns, of course, but N-O-N-E-S, that they don't have a religion. So I think now, more than ever, it is important that we know the, the backbone of our faith. We know that it can stand up to, to rational arguments. You know, mm-hmm. ours is a faith of, of, of a faith, but the faith that does not contradict reason, that does not contradict science, you know. So we can have a very mature reason for our beliefs that can withstand any any attacks from the outside if we if we really come to know these beliefs. Well said. Yeah, that's great. One of the things you brought up, and I think we've heard it, but can you bring it back into the context of right meaning in the faith that we were created body, mm-hmm. mind, soul, all of it together? I think we try to, again, you're a psychologist, but you're also a philosopher, so you understand the mind, you understand, but our souls and our bodies are, in essence, one, and sometimes we neglect one over the other one, right? And there's been a lot of 
heresies over the time that well, we're pure, our bodies are terrible. Don't focus on your body at all. It's all about your soul. And yet then you got other people that focus on your body. You got to be beautiful. The soul will come along. In the writing of your book, how do you reconcile, and maybe it's not reconciling, but how do you tie together where body, mind, heart, and soul as one being, and it's okay to focus on your body in relation to your soul? Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, it sure does. That's a great question. And just, you know, to recap a bit, yeah, I mean, like, like philosophically through history, people like Plato basically said we're primarily we're spirits, but we're we're trapped inside these physical bodies, you mm -hmm. know, until we die. But we're ultimately we're spirit in the past. That's what we're going to be in the future. Today, we also see so often the opposite view amongst people who say they're scientific that all that matters is matter. You know, we're just atoms bouncing around. There is no such thing as as a soul. But the Catholic teaching that goes back also even to, to Aristotle, to St. Thomas Aquinas, to the standard Catholic teaching that we'll find in the Catechism today is that we are. Uh, embodied souls. We're created as as a unity, as human beings are. You know, a angels, Thomas tells us, don't don't have bodies. Uh, you know, God is the Father, Holy Spirit. Before Jesus became incarnate, he's he's pure spirit, but he created human beings as this unique embodiment of body and soul. And we're also the only of all the ensouled bodies on Earth that have an immortal soul. Because I, I read recently, there's estimates there are at least 8.3 million identified species of life on Earth. Oh. And there's only one that has, you know, radio shows, right? You know, there's only <laughs> one that, that, that has our, our intellectual capacity, you know, that we can communicate with each other. So we're really made unique, and that's one way we're made in the image and likeness of God, that we have an intellect and a will. Uh, but those are also, you know, intimately tied into to our bodies, because God specifically crafted us that way. And, you know, we're also taught that after Christ comes again, uh, those of us in heaven are going to have glorified bodies eternally. So we're never going to be... Uh, just spirit. We're going to, you know, have, have these bodies. We need to take care of them. And uh, if, we're, if we're running out of time on the spot, I'm going to say one other point I'd like to make is that, uh, you know, Thomas Aquinas, who I go to for almost everything, uh, he said, you know, when Jesus told us basically above all else to love God, you know, with all that we are, heart and soul mm -hmm. and body and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself, he, Thomas says on a natural level, uh, like friendship, that love we share to others kind of grows from the natural love we have for ourselves because we, we want to live, we want to stay alive, we want to be happy, we want good things. And it's that self-love we're going to now also share this with other people, treat them because knowing that they are selves too, they care about themselves, we're going to share that with them. But Thomas says when we're told to love ourselves, he says that means not only to love our spirits, but to actually love our bodies, mm. to tend for our bodies, to be proper stewards, to show God gratitude for them. And when we do treat our bodies properly, it even makes us, it, it easier for us to, to grow in our intellect, to grow in our will, to grow in virtue, to grow in holiness. Mm, that's great. And you did have a quote, you say that Thomas Aquinas tells us that we should love our bodies out of charity. And that's what you're describing. Yeah. That's right. That's right. The love of charity includes you know, the, ultimately it is, is the love of God and the infused virtue of charity. God gives us his love into our souls and allows us to become spiritual friends with him. And, and through that love of God, yes, we're also going to love our neighbor and ourselves, soul and body. We had a conversation with another priest, Kevin, and he was talking about marriage and the sanctity of marriage and, and the physical intimacy. And, and I think the point as I listen to you speak and, 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 and share uh, from Aquinas, it dawns on me that if God, if the, if, if the body and soul weren't meant to be together in a, in a marriage, 
then you would go have a, a Vulcan mind melt somewhere, but <laughs> but you wouldn't you wouldn't have you know the, the that physical inter- intimacy wouldn't be required. It would be just that just just that's just a bunch of trash you got to haul around till you die. Mm-hmm. So you would you would go have a spiritual moment together, but you would never have any kind of physical intimacy. Yeah, uh, yeah, and there were heresies right in the in the begin in the early church. Lots of them. Around the body. Yes. Yeah? yeah. Yeah. So you do a great job in your book of taking the scripture that you just mentioned as far as, um, you know, that we're called to to love God, the Lord God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all our strength and our mind and our neighbors ourselves. And you used it to outline and address very various physical aspects, you know, the heart, the strength, the mind. Um, can you start getting into that a bit for us? Sure, sure. So, so part of the idea of this book, I mean, it actually is, you know, it's it's called "You Are That Temple," and the subtitle is "A Catholic Guide to Health and Holiness." So, it is looking, you know, at the physical and the spiritual, and kind of in between there is also the intellectual, actual brain function as it is expressed in in our mind and in our will. So, it's trying to treat this uh, by, by looking especially carefully, though, that we don't, all, you know, often see or associate with the Catholic teaching, but especially showing the focus to that body side of things to the physical health. So the way the book is structured has multiple chapters up front. Uh, well, after some introductory material, yeah. on it, it starts with looking at these different epidemics in our time, including uh, the rise of obesity, of diabetes, of this non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, uh, of uh, uh, dementia, and these things, you know, on, on top of our acute pandemics. So it looks at things like that, says, what's kind of really what's going on here? And then what can we do about it? But then we have many chapters that look at at, at health in terms of nutrition. How should we properly be feeding our bodies? Then it has a series of chapters on, and using the temple metaphor, so it's like, what, what building materials do we need? There's yeah. nutrition. Then how we actually build it. This is when I look more at exercise, and I look at various ways to actually build physical strength. There, there's multiple methods, and I have three chapters that describe three different you know, fundamental methods. Um, and then uh, as far as the, the soul and the spirit, uh, I, I do include one chapter that shows a lot of recent research on the effects on the brain that derive from physical exercise, both strength mm-hmm. training and aerobic exercise. Oh, I also do have a chapter on aerobic or endurance exercise. And, and then towards the end, uh, I give special chapters with special focus on special groups, mm-hmm. uh, such as women and children, uh, the elderly, uh, people with disabilities. And one neat feature at the end, one of the, uh, the last appendix, I have 23 what they call, or I call, Temple Tender Tales. So these are 23 real-life stories from modern-day American, uh, well, not just American, there's some, some Canadians and Australians in there, but, but modern Catholics, men and women, who get to tell a little bit of their story, uh, maybe relate to the actual nutrition, to their exercise, to how they integrate it with their spiritual practices. So I try to make it a pretty comprehensive book, and I'm helped again by 23 other people. That is great. Yeah, we appreciate you outlining it. And so listeners, we will have a link in our show notes about how you can get um, Kevin's book, because it, as he just outlined, I think it's going to be very fascinating for a lot of people. And it's very rich. You've got a lot of great information in it. So we appreciate that very much. Yeah. And one of the things you brought out, and I think we hear it a lot, but I think you show it practically is um, how we glorify God in our bodies, right? Um, Talk a little bit because you've power lifted, you've body build. How do you think you've glorified God in your body? Number one. And number two, what virtues do you think God has drawn out in you personally through your 
commitment to, I mean, you're praying, you're doing all that, but how has the physical side of it brought out virtue in you? So two-part question. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, Great question there. And, And for the Okay, what was the first question? It was on the... I, I don't have a memory. I he, can't he ask wanted me to, to repeat yeah. that. How, how, how is your work on your body glorified, God? Yes, yes, yes exactly. Yeah, and in those quotes, like the title, you know, You Are That Temple, is borrowing directly from St. Paul. Some right. versions say that temple, you are. I kind of like that dramatic flair, but we went with the more straightforward, you are that, that temple. So we're to glorify God with our bodies. And yeah, in my own history, you know, I have... I've done bodybuilding, I've done powerlifting, various strength sports, you know. But when I was young, you know, to what extent was I glorifying God with that activity? Maybe not much at all, because <laughs> my main interest is, you know, how muscular can I look? How strong can I be? Which is not necessarily a bad thing, but it's a very short-sighted thing. So I think as I've gone through life, I've tried to glorify more God with my own physical activities. One, just at a personal level, it's showing him thanks and gratitude. Mm. Yeah, I'm over 60 now, and I still, like, amazes me. Wow, I can actually get a little bit stronger from workout to workout, you know, or I can bring my waistline a little bit smaller, you know, or I can be a little bit more enduring on the exercise walk or out, out walking. So I try to show a personal sense of gratitude, but also now I, I talk about the concept in the book of being, being a dynamo for charity. So ideally, if you make yourself stronger and more enduring, can you do good things with it? Can you now play with your kids or your grandkids maybe more than you could have before? Mm-hmm. Can you help your neighbors do physically demanding chores? You help them move a couch or do do this or that or, or help your help my wife. The thing I do most often in that regard probably is to help my wife carry uh, endless bags of mulch from <laughs> the back of her SUV to various spots in our in our uh, yard. But that's so that's when I look at, you know, I want ideally we're not building the size and strength to say, hey, look at me, look what I can do. But it's more like not without saying it, showing other people what you can do with your body to help them to show, you know, and then maybe maybe hopefully for some people inspiring them. Hey, there's things I can improve my health and fitness, uh, too. For, for example, here at home, we ended up building a little uh, gym in my garage over the last couple of years. And I have a 35-year-old son who with his family lives down the street. And now it's kind of become the free neighborhood gym. Oh, <laughs> we great. have all kinds of folks who are, who are in there. And we just do it you know, in a way that we're really trying to become more healthy. In fact, with the young guys who are so interested on just lifting their maximum possible weights, I'm trying to get them a little more focused now on how can we stay strong but become as healthy as possible, be there for our kids, you know. Uh, lower our blood pressure, uh, uh, things along that sort. But now, in, in terms of virtue, too, I mean, there's some direct parallels. Thomas Aquinas, uh, barring from Aristotle, says, as health and fitness and beauty are to the body, so are virtues to the soul. Mm. There, there are parallels there, and they intertwine. So one way when I write about, like, the four cardinal virtues, mm-hmm. like fortitude or courage, in fortitude, St. Thomas tells us, one thing it helps us do is overcome difficult obstacles. And to me, that's what weightlifting is all about. Oh, gosh, <laughs> how am I going to overcome this obstacle? But he says the principal act of fortitude is to endure. And there we have things like, you know, our endurance athletes, you know, our marathon runners, uh, people who really train themselves, though it may be uncomfortable, especially at first, you can do it because you know it is good for you. So fortitude definitely applies to, to strength training and endurance training. Uh, temperance, you know, or, or moderation, self-control direct relevance to our diet, to mm-hmm. keeping our, reining ourselves in so we don't eat it inappropriately. And I will interject too, one thing I talk about in this book is if we're feeding our body the proper kinds of foods, it may give us a very huge boost to that temperance. Mm-hmm. So it's not as hard to rein in our desires for bad food if we train ourselves to the point where we don't desire them anymore. Mm-hmm. But, but temperance then for diet, uh, uh, prudence, you know, practical wisdom, 
is just like crafting a routine that makes sense for you. You know, what are your other life commitments? Can you spend two hours in the gym every day? Probably not if you have a job and a family, but can you spend, you know, uh, 15 minutes three times a week, wherever the case may be. So prudence needs to find what's right for you. And the last of the, the cardinal virtues I talk about is justice, which is giving people their rightful due. And the way I try to do that, again, is by looking at the needs of maybe people with special needs, like younger children or teens or women or the elderly or, or people with uh, disabilities. So there's some way that we can tie these virtues in. In the last group I discussed, is what's called the intellectual virtues. They're in the ancient pagans. They're also in Scripture. And those are science or knowledge, understanding, and, and wisdom. And I have a chapter where I kind of dig deep into what these are, because the main point I bring there is we get so much conflicting information about health in mm -hmm. terms of nutrition and exercise. We need to learn some basic ways to kind of be on our alert and train ourselves to, to sift through this material and hopefully make sense of it on our own or no good sources to turn to to help us make sense of all the confusing information out there. Oh, that's great. That's really helpful. And, you know, the last part of what you just said as far as there's so much conflicting information, after the break when we come back, we'd love for you to help <laughs> us understand some of that because it's so true. And you actually tell a really funny story. We'll have you, t you tell our listeners when you come back about that. Um, when it, it comes to the subject of nutrition, how we hear so many different different things about the what time, we should the eat. The time traveler. Yes, the time traveler. What we should eat, what we shouldn't eat. It's just, it's crazy and trying to understand that. So, yeah, I love how you've linked in the intellectual virtues, that knowledge and understanding and wisdom and how important it is for us to get that. I have a thought just as we wrap up. <laughs> yes, and, please. And I'm coming at it from a different direction. But as, as I listen to Kevin talk about the virtues and how, what, this applies to the virtues. It's it's an opportunity for us. When you think about the nuns and the, and and the the generation we deal with today, how would you teach them virtue? Mm -hmm. You might not say prudence. This you might say this, and it's an example of prudence. This yeah. and it's an example of temperance, right? So we will live in a world where the sensuality is a driver, and and the offsetting virtue is temperance, right? It's it's an interesting way to to produce yeah. to in, to introduce those concepts to a group that might not come at it, you know, theoretically. Yeah. Yeah, no, we've had too many, too many um, comforts. You know, our parents, mm. our grandparents did not. They learned it by their natural life, right, Kevin? They, they had to live hardships. They had to live struggle. We haven't. So your book on exercise and your book on focusing on, on nutrition and, and exercise, it's a force of kind of recreating that struggle that, quite honestly, we've been blessed to not have to have, but also, I think, cursed in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. So as we are going to go into break here real quickly, Kevin, uh, I want you to be thinking about a family room memory of yours. And we come back out of break. We're going to ask you that question. So listeners, as you've been uh, paying attention intently here, we have been talking to Dr. Kevin Vost about his book, You Are That Temple, A Catholic Guide to Health and Holiness. We'll be right back inside the family room in moments. Sponsored by Versprite on The Quest. In today's world, cybersecurity is critical for your business. Award-winning Versprite provides solutions to protect your company from hackers. For protection now, see Versprite.com. That's V-E-R-Sprite.com. The Quest thanks Versprite for their support. The Quest presents Pro-Life Minutes. Healthcare providers should care about health, right? Why then has Planned Parenthood's actual women's healthcare services dropped over 72% in the last 10 years? Abortion is not healthcare. Abortion kills. Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion provider in the United States. 
with 700 abortion facilities, and in the 2019 fiscal year, they ended 345,672 innocent American lives. This is an increase of 13,000 in the last year and 25,000 over the last two years. To put that in context, that is about half the population of Washington, D.C. Why then does the United States government continue to send the millions of taxpayer dollars in funding and grants year after year? If we don't stop them, no one will. Let's love God by loving life. Show the world that every life matters by speaking up for life at every opportunity. For more homegrown wisdom, visit thequestatlanta.com. Here at The Quest, we often hear how our programs touch hearts and change lives. Now more than ever, people need to hear the truth and beauty of the Catholic faith. As a 100% listener-supported station, The Quest relies on monthly donations to stay on the air. Please consider making a monthly donation to The Quest and help us continue to provide inspiring Catholic programming. Monthly donors are the lifeblood of the station. Visit thequestatlanta.com to donate. Thank you for your support. Hi, this is AJ with The Quest. Did you know that we are on a mission to invite, inform, and inspire listeners like you? We want you to embrace your journey and take one step closer to God by not only listening, but engaging with us. In fact, we could use your help with making this vision a reality. I ask you to prayerfully consider joining us as a missionary to help with volunteer tasks at our studio in Roswell, Georgia. If you feel called to help and would like to learn more, please send us an email at info at thequestatlanta.com. Does your parish, charitable organization, or ministry have an upcoming event that you'd like to promote? Advertise it on AM 1160, the Quest Community Calendar. It's easy and there's never a fee. Just visit thequestatlanta.com, click on events, and submit your activity or event. Enhance the success of your community outreach event. Take advantage of the Quest Atlanta's complimentary community calendar and gain more exposure to the Metro Faith community. Submit your event at thequestatlanta.com today. St. Joseph was a man of few words. In fact, not a single word of his was recorded in Scripture. But the Father of Jesus spoke abundantly in his silence, and he certainly gave us a lot to talk about. Want to go deeper? Listen to the St. Joseph series on your Quest app and on thequestatlanta.com. Welcome back to The Family Room with Mari, John, and Craig, sponsored by Versprite on AM 1160 The Quest. Welcome back into the family room, and we are with Dr. Kevin Vost, or Kevin as he likes to be called here in the family room, and he has written an amazing book called You Are That Temple, A Catholic Guide to Health and Holiness, and um, has done just an amazing job of helping us see ourselves as both body and soul, and therefore looking at all of the aspects of what goes into um, being healthy and how important that is. And John, I know you had a question that was really um, tinkering, going around in your brain. Yeah, but we got to get his favorite family room memory. Oh, right? sure. That, why don't you, yeah, should I ask him that <laughs> first? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so that's going through my brain because it goes through our brain with every guest we have, Kevin. So in the family room, we and we've heard some great things. What is your favorite memory from the family room growing up? Whether that's whether that's growing up or from the current Vost family room, what's what's a favorite memory that you have that you would share with us? Okay, now I might cheat because I might tell more than one very. That's briefly, all right. That's all right. Because my because my growing up family room is my is the most family right. room now too. <laughs> but uh, okay, so we had a little family room when I was growing up uh, in the house I lived in first from about age five to twenty three, I think. Little room in the center of the house had a picture window, and mom and dad just had it set up like with two couches on either side and a little table with a telephone. That's about all that was in there. 
except for maybe closet. And uh, they, they tell the story that I don't remember it myself. When I was about kindergarten age, I had I love one of my mom's sisters, my Aunt Rita, and I learned her phone number. So, so I would like to just I'd pick up the phone and I'd call her. <laughs> and one day, I was sitting in there, and Rita told them later, said I was talking to her on the phone. I saw them out the picture window come in and said, bye, Rita, I got to go. They're coming inside. <laughs> so I had to hang out. Like, oh, they're going to catch me calling you on the phone. So my parents used to always love to, to tell me that one. But then the, the house, my, my parents sold it in the mid-'80s. It was is out of family for many years. We had many fond memories, though. But 20 years ago, in 2002, my wife happened to see it up for sale in the newspaper. And, and we go just for nostalgia purposes to look through it. Brought my brother even and his family along, too. Well, next thing we know, we bought it again. Uh. So, so we're back here. So now I had. So now the same family room is where most evenings Kathy and I will retire at the end of the night if we're going to watch some television or read. But even more multi-generational now. This is the room where if our daughter-in-laws are here. There's doors on each side. This is where they, they shut the doors and do the diaper changes and the breastfeeding. <laughs> so, so the room has quite a history from really when family. I was a little kid to now, to now the grandkids growing up. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I love that. That is wonderful. When they're like that, you're allowed to have two. That's good. That is good. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love that. Especially it's the same family room with all of these memories. It's awesome. What I kind of like, too, though, even though he didn't mention it, was now converting this gym into a communal gym for the neighborhood. Yeah. Without knowing it, you're trying to create memories for other people in your neighborhood and your family because you're creating a small community around something you love and something that means a lot to you. And I can imagine also you catechizing or maybe evangelizing a little bit through all of this. So I think that's another. I, I think one just that that was, I guess, what I was trying to understand when I said the, it's a different way to come at the virtues, right? You're not yeah. going to go to your garage and say, oh, we're going to have a class on temperance and fortitude, fortitude and whatever. Yeah. But we say, hey, we're right. going to we're going to push some weight around in the garage. You want to hang out. And, and to your point, Craig, I think you, it's just a fertile place for good things to happen. Yeah. I think it's awesome. It's awesome. I, I want to ask a question, though, uh, Kevin, because... Smoke's coming out of his I, ears. No, but I read through what you were... Uh, remember I said in the beginning, like, I felt you are the, you are that temple, right? And in a certain sense, it was convicting, like, yep, I've got one, and I'm responsible for it, right? Yeah. And, and then I read through all of the, what you shared about the pandemic of obesity and, and the non-alcoholic uh, fatty liver disease. I think I got that right. And um, mm -hmm. diabetes. And, uh, and, just, and it's not a pretty picture as you think about it. And, and I'm like an operations guy. Like, so I don't mind fixing things, but I only want to fix it once. Right. So tell me what is the root cause so I can go back and fix the root cause and then not have to deal with that defect over and over and over again. So as you went through, as you do all this research, what did you come upon that might be indicative of a root cause that has driven this generation or this generation and a half into these pandemic scenarios? Yeah, that, that's a great question, you know, and, and very Thomistic, too, going back to St. Thomas, because he talks about the difference between proximate causes and ultimate causes, you know, mm, the, the, right. the answer why. And again, this is controversial material. You know, I give the reasons for why I've come to believe what I do. But just generally, in terms of obesity, the common idea is we get we're, we're obese because we eat too much and exercise too little. Uh, but then you say, but then a deeper question is, well, why? Why are we eating too much? Why are we exercising too little? Could it be that the food we're putting into our bodies makes us hungrier? It doesn't satisfy our, our nutritional needs. And we, then we overeat, and it makes us tired, or it makes our blood sugars 
jump up and down so we don't feel like getting out there and exercising. And perhaps if we then, in the proper nutrition, the proper kinds of protein and fat and micronutrients, maybe then just naturally you're going to be, hey, you know, I'm not so hungry Mm. because what I ate gave my body what it needed. In point of fact, I have some extra energy now. I think I'm going to go out and take a walk or I'm going to go mow the lawn with the push mower today instead of sitting on that rider, you know. (laughs) But but so to me then, uh, a theory that I found seems very sensible uh, is that Part of the reason these epidemics have exploded since about 1980 is is that we were encouraged to eat pretty much vast amounts of carbohydrate mm. uh, and to, to maybe unnecessarily avoid fat and not to stress enough the importance of protein, uh, especially in terms of processed foods where you're getting very simple sugars w- without fiber, w- without the protein. So in my understanding, a big driver of obesity, uh, non-alcoholic fatty liver, uh, diabetes, some other things. Some people even think of Alzheimer's, uh, dementia, may come from this improper diet where we're just drowning ourselves in in sugars and in artificial processed foods while we're in a sense almost starving ourselves for what the body really needs. Mm. Got it. Yeah, that's a really well, good it's interesting point. too because when you think about it, and again, I'm not going to go down a rabbit hole of of one versus the other. But I read something recently that one of the fad, I'll call it a fad, of eating, um, and it ties to more like a vegetarian type diet, was actually constructed by a person of, of another faith that believed the body was bad or something like that. So it was like, oh, you can't eat flesh, you can't do these mm. things. But it was really tied more to philo- philosophy than it was a truth or reality. And I think that, again, keeping it faith-based, there's a lot of information that we get fed that's not based in truth, whether it's religiously or otherwise, and we tend to latch onto it because it's tied to a philosophy that's flawed, or we're being driven because of somebody else's greed or pride. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tie this to something you had in your book because, again, I mentioned my son because I am not that person. Um, you know, he lifts a lot, he listens to a lot of bodybuilders, and even at his age he's noticed that there's a lot of these people that pump information out there and you look and you go, I want to be like that until you find out and you brought it up in your book that he's going to probably die at 25 years old because he's taking steroids or he's doing things that really aren't healthy to get an end result and end up dying in the process. What have you seen in your lifting that kind of corroborates with that? Because you put it in your book that Let's not keep looking at everybody else out there. Let's use our own wisdom, going back to virtues. Let's use our own understanding to kind of craft what may be best for us and quit looking at or listening to all the disparate, if that's the right word, information that may be handed down to us. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, I'm pretty familiar with the world of bodybuilding. And and I know some studies were done, like from the era before they invented steroids and before they used these growth hormones and all kinds of other things, insulin and, and so on, the old winners of the bodybuilding titles like the Mr. Americas tended to live long lives, you know, mm. 70s, 80s, 90s, whereas many of these new people are, are dying young. I'm on, the, on the Internet, you're almost every week or two, you're hearing about a new person, man or woman, top light flight bodybuilder, 30s, 40s, or 50s, who's actually passing away. And even the ones that stay alive, there's also these different stories you're going to see of a a bodybuilder who looks like a total comic book superhero. 
And then you see them a few years later, and now they're no longer doing these steroids. They're like, hey, I think I've got more muscle than that guy. You mm-hmm. know, so so we're often getting these messages to go ex- to go to extremes, which may have some temporary impressive results, but are very very detrimental in the long run. And again, that that's contrary to <clears throat> virtue too, because virtue is really going to be a matter of of harmony and balance and moderation. So yeah, it's nice to make your muscles bigger and stronger, but if that's at the actual expense uh, of your your health and your functional capacity and your longevity, then that's totally the wrong message. So we have to be looking for for you know sources who are going to guide us towards not only strength and size of our muscles, but true health and, and true fitness. Yeah. Kevin was is it? I'm not a philosopher. Was it St. Thomas Aquinas who said in Medio Stat Virtu? Virtue lies in moderation. Was that Aquinas? I, I don't remember. Somebody that—that's what you just said. You just—it's well, yeah, all about I, moderation. You know, yeah, he's probably originally Aristotle. Okay. But but Thomas, you know, incorporated a great deal of Aristotle and perfected it. You know, improved it. So yes, Aristotle is is one of the ancient Greeks who talked about that—that that the golden mean. Yeah, that mm-hmm. virtue being lying in the mill. And yes, Thomas does talk about that, especially with the cardinal virtues of fortitude and temperance and and justice and prudence. So yes, finding that right measure. So we always need. Uh, to look for that right measure. Yeah. And so Craig mentioned both aspects, both the exercise, the strength building, but also the nutrition part of it and how we keep getting conflicting messages about what is it true? What is what is it we're supposed to eat or not eat? And like you said, your, uh, your research has shown the whole issue of we went way overboard in carbohydrates and especially this, these simple sugars. There's a story you, you tell in your book, and I love it. I just want I want you to mention it because I think we can all really relate to it is the story about the time traveler. And just the, it lends the credence to the confusion that we all have about what are we supposed to eat? So would you tell the time traveler story and then tell us what we're supposed to eat? That would be really great. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. And I can't take credit for the story because I remember I saw it come across on the Internet. Uh-huh. Even, even before I had revised my my uh, nutritional views a couple of years ago, but it basically goes like this. You're picturing this couple in this, this lime green kitchen that has the, that says, you know, 1960s or 1970s or something. <laughs> they got the, the plaid clothing and so forth. And husband's sitting down for breakfast. His wife has made him and it's steak and eggs and toast and, and juice and coffee or something. And, and then all of a sudden this man flashes in the room and he says, Hey, wait, I'm from the future. And he's, he's the time traveling dietitian. He goes, I'm from the future. He says, I'm warning you don't eat those eggs. They're like, don't eat eggs. Why not? And he says, cholesterol. And they're like, well, what's that? So anyway, the wife goes, oh, okay. So she walks over to the garbage can and pitches the eggs. And then you see a flash. And boom, he's back again. But he's in newer clothing. He says, I'm back. He said, hey, he goes, uh, we, we were wrong about the, the eggs. He said, it's just the yolks. You can eat the whites. Just throw away the yolks. She's like, okay. And then she, they go back to their plate. And then he shows up again. He goes, wait a minute. He goes, we were wrong about the eggs. And the wife says, again? He said, uh, he says, yeah, yeah, your body makes most of its own cholesterol. And what you take in terms of eggs and things, it doesn't really, it's not going to give you ill health effects. So you can't eat those eggs. She says, okay, great. And then he says, um, but don't eat the steak. <laughs> and then she starts to throw away the steak when he goes. And the husband says, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. And then the guy comes back. He says, oh, wait, hold on a minute. We were wrong about the steak. He said, now we know about these Paleolithic people that were mainly hunter-gatherers. They, they loved meat and they thrived, you know. He says, but don't eat the toast. <laughs> so then a minute later, you know, he, he's back. And then he finally says, hey, you know, I'm sorry we were wrong about the toast. And then he says, just, just um, you know, eat in moderation and exercise. And then, then he comes back one last time and says, hey, I, I'm it's, sorry. It's, it's, we found it's all a matter of genetics. He says, so 
I'm so sorry for spoiling your meal. (laughs) (laughs) Well, a nice little clip. It's actually kind of based on historical trends from the 70s to the present in what we've been given as the standard nutritional advice. Exactly. And so listeners, you are here in the family room and you're listening to Dr. Kevin Vost and he gives us such practical ideas and thoughts um, in his new book, You Are That Temple, and and builds on fun things like this, like, oh my gosh, what are we supposed to eat? So um, Kevin, tell us, what is it that we are supposed to eat now? Yeah, I heard steak and eggs. (laughs) (laughs) Steak and eggs and toast. (laughs) (laughs) Steak and eggs and toast. Yeah, all the things the time traveler said not to eat. But yeah, of course, this is complicated. And I I noted in the book, the day I sat down to write, I came across an article and it said, nutritional recommendations are notoriously complex. Yes. Well, isn't that that the truth? So I try to boil it down a little bit as much as is possible. But but kind of the fundamental lesson I said, as much as possible, try to eat real food Mm -hmm. as much as possible. You know, it may be, yeah, those steaks. Those eggs, it might include toast. Maybe you want to go more towards the whole grain, the more natural as opposed to the more highly processed. So kind of the fundamental lesson is maybe think in terms of eating food that my great-grandparents might have eaten because they existed back then. Mm, you know, mm-hmm. fruit, fruits, vegetables, the kind of things that you say, too, on the, the outside of the grocery store. Yes. The, so the Hot Pockets is out. Hot Pockets are, is that not a good, grand, grandma, grandpa didn't have that? No, no Hot Pockets Okay, I was just checking. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that, that Thomas or even Aristotle had ever mentioned Hot Pockets in their <laughs> writing. So. Well, and I think I want to be careful, too, because I, I've experienced this. You can get into a mindset of all this other stuff is bad. I can't have ice cream. I can't have, you know, everything is don't eat dairy. Right. Don't right. eat sugar. Right. Don't eat this. Well, that also can create a very unhealthy view of foods. And I laugh because I have a 93-year-old mother who unfortunately has been overweight her whole life, has eaten everything. But to your point, Kevin, when growing up, we didn't go out to eat fast foods a lot. Mm-hmm. We didn't eat a lot of processed stuff. Mm-hmm. We ate a lot of butter. We ate a lot of other things. My father was 85 before he passed away. My mother is 93, still alive. Um, I think it is using our common sense, eating what's right, and not focusing so much on I better not eat this because I may get a little who cares if you got a little bit of extra weight around your midsection who cares if maybe you aren't as strong as you want to be yeah John's over here flexing <laughs> I got the furniture physique my chest is in wait my drawers a second, wait a second wait a, but, but wait around your midsection that's one of those new things right we're told the weight around your midsection is really dangerous because that's that's bad fat right again we got to take a look at it in context of God and where he wants to properly right. assign this stuff. And it's like, look at, to your point, Kevin, I want to be healthy. I want to move. My body needs to move. We were created to move. We were created to enjoy the things God gave us. Again, temperance, moderation, all these things. Don't just throw the baby out with the bathwater and use your own common sense, right? Eat a little bit of everything. Get your body moving. And... You said it, so I'm just going to ask you uh, an earlier comment. Exercise can be gardening. Exercise can be doing a lot of different things. What's your philosophy on that? Do I have to live in oh. the gym or not in the gym? Or Oh, yeah, and there's research behind it for sure. But I have a chapter, I don't remember if I called it in this book or not, but re- I do the real work works. And we're told in, in Proverbs, in all toil there is profit. Mm. So there are two, yeah, those people like our grandparents, our great-grandparents, who can be very, very healthy just because they worked in their gardens or did walks or did physical chores or did farm labor. So yeah, all that, all that is healthy. You do not have to spend your life in the gym to be a physically fit person. If you're using your body for, 
for normal activities. And that, too, about the treats and stuff. Yeah, ideally you want to have a diet that's mostly real food, but that doesn't mean you can't occasionally, depending on who you are. If Grandma makes you an apple pie, you don't have to go say, no, Grandma, i got to go throw this in the garbage can. <laughs> no, you're going to say, thank you so much and, and, and relish that. you know. But you probably don't want to do that every single day. Mm-hmm. So, again, again, that moderation there. But I so say, yeah, that, so the bottom line is, you know, there are some ideal ways to exercise that are very kind of potent, a little dabble do you. There are also some foods that are really, really highly nutritious. But living a full life, you know, is balancing all that. And if you're happy, you're content, you're, you're healthy uh, without doing any formal exercise but using your body in other ways, I think that's great. And if you can eat mostly real foods but occasionally enjoy that treat, well, that's great too. It's just we tend to get in trouble, though, if we're eating almost nothing but those processed foods and remaining just almost nothing but sedentary. Yeah. Yeah, and one of the things that you say in your book I really appreciate, and I think it's really important for us to remember, is that we were wonderfully and fearfully made. We are each unique. We're made in God's image, but we're each unique. And so part of this, too, I would think, is us getting to understand the body that God gave us, the temple that he did give each one of us. And so each one of us is going to have a different reaction to different things. You know, some people are going to be lactose intolerant. Some people are going to gain weight in different ways. You know, so part of it is also listening to, um, you know, kind of looking at your body and maybe praying about it and maybe looking into different things and seeing what does work for you. you know, I, I know you mentioned fasting in the book um, and fasting for some people works really well. I did the intermittent fasting and it didn't really do anything for me personally, but then there are other things that have worked for me, you know? So what, what is your take on, on that, on the kind of the individual, each of us kind of looking at the temple we have and what makes sense for us and male and female, right? Yeah, that too. Oh yeah. No, I think that that's an absolutely important point. There's some fundamental principles that apply to everybody, but we are all unique in our metabolisms in our tolerances for different foods. So we do, I mean, we don't need to be eating exactly like anybody else except what, what makes us happy and healthy. So that's a very, very valid point. We all need to find what works for us, what, what makes us feel good. And that even, too, may change as we age. We may find we have a certain level for carbohydrates that we did just fine when we were in our 20s, but when we're in our 50s and 60s, well, maybe I need to, to change up things a little bit. So that's important. And, and masculine and, and male and female, too. Uh, we, we need to, to take that in consideration, you know, what happens at the different stages of life, how men and women may need to alter the way they exercise or they eat as they go through life changes, you know, menopause, uh, things like that, or during the childbearing years. Yeah, we need to factor all that in and so kind of be open, you know, to, to the broader scientific research out there, but also one-on-one, how does this impact me? Like to give one quick example, I read the other day about caffeine. I'm like, what are they saying now about caffeine and insulin uh, and blood sugar level? So I do an internet search and on the same page I get, it's bad, it's good, it doesn't affect anything, you know, from different sources. So you have to be careful. So then I say, well, wait a minute. Now, I was drinking several cups of coffee a day when I did lose 30 pounds, and my blood pressure did drop 30 points, when I took six just off my waist. So at least in this point in life, I think coffee's probably okay for me. But if all that changes later, then I might rethink it. Right, right. And I know for me, caffeine, I stay awake. If I have any caffeine afternoon, it keeps me awake. So I know personally for me, I can't do that because then it affects my sleep patterns, right? Oh, exactly. And by... Yeah, my wife can handle about one-fifth the caffeine I do, and I don't drink it after noon myself. Yeah. So another important question, and I think it, it can be simple but complicated. You know, we, we read off all your accomplishments, all you do, all you've done. How in the world do you have time to exercise? 
Yeah, well, I will say during busy periods of my life, like in the 30s and 40s, I'm working full time. I'm going for my psychology doctorate. We've got young kids in the house. I did at times lift, lift weights as little as once a week. And besides normal activities, that, that was it. Well, well, now I'm retired. You know, I, I write, I do, you know, interviews. I, I write books occasionally. I do talks. But otherwise, you know, my schedule's free each day. So my own preference routine right now, I'm an early riser. Like my dad, I get up about 4 a.m. By, by nature. And just Monday I go to the gym and I do about a half an hour workout with weights for my upper body. Tuesday I do a few lower body uh, exercises and 15-minute intervals on a bike. I rest Wednesday. Thursday is kind of repeat with different exercises for the upper body, the legs, and the bike. So basically Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, I work out for about a half an hour, and then I just live my life. You know, I try to go out mm. and mow the lawn and do whatever Kathy wants me to do around the house and yard and, and things like that. So it's not really too hard to fit in. I, at this point in my life, when I can exercise as much as I want to, to me, about two hours a week is all I put in. Wow, that's good. Oh, that's great. Let's go to the temple yeah. concept because, like, I've, I've discovered that, like, my temple in youth was an obelisk, and, and now I have a rotunda <laughs> in my temple. <laughs> um, so, but seriously, you have temple stories. You have tender temple stories in the book. Can you share some of those with us, or will you share some of those with us? Yeah, we've got oh, about sure. three. We've got about three minutes, so maybe one, one or one? two quick she ones. Share yeah. one. Okay, sorry. Yeah, the producer's <laughs> like one, John. One. Sure, I'll just tell one because it's kind of fascinating to me. It's, it's about uh, Lorraine Bennett, who's another Catholic author. Oh, we actually interviewed Lorraine. Yes, we interviewed Lorraine in yeah. art, and and somehow I remember how something I put on Facebook. We got talking about this, and I found out that her dietary ideas were very similar to mine, and she and Art had been doing them for several years, longer than I had. And so they tell their story, remarkable differences, this mainly dietary changes made in their health because they are all exercising the whole time through. So I just love the story and being Catholic authors, you know, they're tying in the spiritual benefits. They're tying in the multi-generational benefits, how this can help our the children and grandchildren. So, so Lorraine's is one of those 23 stories that I love, but actually I love every one of them, but I guess we only had time for one. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but it, but it just because I want to make sure we're clear, what was the more specific about Lorraine's story? Well, her, her specific change, because they've always been runners and very active, it, it was eating the more natural whole foods and vastly reducing carbohydrates. So I think even in their 60s, boom, it was like life-changing. Wow. Significant losses of weight, improvements in blood pressure, overall health, energy level. They were runners, I think, he, or she is. Even her running improved by making this this dietary change of moving away from all the, the, the sugars and starches. Okay, yeah. So the, so the ancient food pyramid needs to be deconstructed and reconstructed. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah I think in future years, we're going to see that. Uh, it may be a little while, but I think we're going to actually see that, but it's going to take a while in terms of the official recommendations. Sure. Mm. Yeah. Well, we have very much appreciated having you on. And right. once again, listeners, we've been speaking with Dr. Kevin Vost, and he's got this wonderful new book called You Are That Temple, A Catholic Guide to Health and Holiness. We're going to have a place in our show notes for you to be able to figure out how to order that. Would you close us um, in prayer, Kevin, and, and bless our listeners that way? Okay, yeah. And before I start, I'll just say again, I'm, I'm bar taking off from St. Paul, who says, so glorify God in your bodies in, in first, first Corinthians. So in the name of the Father, yes. Son, the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as, as it, it was, was in the beginning, beginning is, is now, now, and ever and shall, ever shall be. be. World without end. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for your generosity of time and um, all of the wisdom that you've shared with us today. We really appreciate it. Well, it's been my pleasure.
Glad to have you. And listeners, please be with us again here in the Family Room next week, where we offer hope, encouragement, truth, and wisdom for families. Thanks for hanging out with us in the Family Room, sponsored by Versprite. For more info, go to thequestatlanta.com.